0: The following program is brought to you by We Are Many. To learn more about this program or to find others like it, check out wearemany.org. Um, in the days after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. in Memphis on April fourth, uh, uh, 1968, uh, seven days later, the U.S. Congress um, finally passed the Fair Housing Act, uh, which banned race, uh, racial discrimination in the selling leasing or rental of residential property in the United States. Since um, 1965, Congress had been wrangling over the the parameters of fair housing legislation in the U.S. um, But it was the, the, the riots that happened in the aftermath of King's assassination that finally forced Congress to act decisively in favor of fair and equitable housing in the United States. For years, dozens of studies and reports produced by the U.S. government itself identified mostly by the uh, U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, Um, mostly identified uh, housing as one of the central causative uh, factors of the urban rebellions that uh, uh, rocked um, American cities throughout the 1960s. Moreover, it was recognized that housing inequality uh, was the (laughs) linchpin to a number um, of other central civil rights issues, (coughs) including uh, 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 access to education um, and access to the best jobs. Just two months after uh, the Fair Housing Act was passed, the Supreme Court decided in a landmark decision um, in Jones versus Mayer, uh, uh, a decision that uh, banned all discrimination in housing, including in private transactions involving housing, something that had historically been left um, uh, beyond the reach of of, uh, uh, courts and the Constitution, private transactions, Uh, this Supreme Court uh, decision got rid of that and in any housing discrimination anywhere in the United States uh, was criminalized. The court reached back almost 100 years earlier to section 1982 of the Civil Rights Act of 1866 which was passed in the triumphant aftermath of the American Civil War which stated quote, all citizens of the United States shall have the same rights in every state and territory as it is enjoyed by white citizens thereof to inherit, purchase, lease, sell, hold, and convey real and personal, uh, personal property. The court banned all uh, 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 the 1968 ruling, banned all discrimination in housing because it considered the persistence of such to be, quote, badges of slavery, famously declaring that their ruling was meant to, quote, assure that a dollar in the hands of a Negro, uh, of a Negro will purchase the same thing as a dollar in the hands of a white man different court, different time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this decision was, was heralded as the culmination of decades of activism by fair housing activists who had been organizing against discriminatory housing practices um, since 1917 when the NAACP had its first case against housing segregation appealed to the uh, U.S. Supreme Court in hopes of a ruling against the use of residential zoning to legally bar integrated uh, uh, housing throughout the American South. But despite the celebrated ban on racial discrimination in housing, it persists. Almost 20 years after the Fair Housing Act uh, was passed in in, in 1989, there were several studies done uh, to try to evaluate uh, where things had uh, progressed in terms of uh, uh, fair housing um, and anti-housing discriminatory uh, uh, measures. And what was found was disturbing. The Atlanta Constitution, the Atlanta Journal Constitution Uh, a newspaper in Atlanta um, did a groundbreaking study which found that um, prospective white borrowers uh, uh, with uh, savings and loans in Atlanta uh, were five times more likely to be approved for loans than blacks regardless of income. There were two additional studies conducted by the Federal Reserve in Boston and Chicago respectively in 1992 and 1995 and they too found rampant discrimination against black loan applicants. The Boston study found that 17% of black applicants were rejected compared to whites. And the Chicago study found that 9% of whites were rejected uh, compared to 18% uh, uh, of African-American loan applicants. The disparities in mortgage rejection, subprime loans, and other predatory lending situations uh, uh, continue to affect um, African-Americans disproportionately. The question then is why? Why, 40 years after the passage of federal f- uh, uh, fair housing legislation, does housing discrimination uh, continue to persist? persist? Moreover, what role does residential segregation play in further perpetuating uh, disproportionate levels of African American poverty, unemployment, access to good jobs, um, access to equal education, etc.? There are many popular explanations for the, pr- uh, uh, the persistence of housing segregation. Uh, right-wingers usually say, um, based on a sort of common sense interpretation uh, of the world, that people simply choose to live uh, uh, you know, where and amongst whom uh, they choose to live with. So, you know, Greeks like to live amongst Greeks, and <laughs> Irish like to live amongst Irish, um, and clearly black people like to live uh, uh, amongst black people. Um, the problem, uh, uh, and then the second thing is, uh, uh, an explanation is that it's not racial discrimination, it's that um, all blacks are, are poor, therefore they all live together in poor conditions. Um, the problem with the first explanation uh, is that it's not true. Um, in every survey taken uh, of African-Americans since the 1970s, uh, which, some of which can be found in a book called American Apartheid, um, African-Americans have consistently said uh, that they prefer to live in a- um, integrated neighborhoods. Not necessarily because they want to live uh, next to white people, um, but it's assumed uh, that you'll have greater access to uh, to better resources and more resources if you live in close proximity uh, to white people. Um, The other point is that residential segregation, um, in terms of all blacks are poor and that's why they live together, uh, residential segregation exists amongst all levels of uh, income for African-Americans. Black people clearly uh, do not live um, or all exist in the same uh, income bracket, not with a black man about to become president um, of the United States. Uh, But middle class uh, blacks tend to um, be almost as residentially segregated as poor or working class uh, uh, blacks. And not because uh, they choose to live together, um, but because African-Americans have more limited housing choices because of racism. Uh, for as an example, one study uh, showed that um, upper-middle-class uh, blacks were twice as likely to be steered towards a subprime loan um, as working-class or poor whites. Um, so there, there's a heavy manipulation of where uh, African Americans live um, uh, in, you know, different cities and different neighborhoods. Um, so basically, those are inadequate explanations. Um, And and the main reason why they're inadequate is because they really look to the sort of individual choices of, of, you know, uh, individual um, blacks as to where where it is that they want to live and who, you know, wants to live uh, next to each other when really in order to understand segregation, residential segregation and housing discrimination, you have to start by looking in the right place. And really the two institutions that have had the greatest impact in shaping American um, housing policy and really in shaping the American conceptualization of home ownership um, as the sort of supreme aspiration of anyone um, in, this, in this country. Uh, the two institutions that played the most decisive role in that is really the federal government and the private real estate and lending institutions. Um, Both of these entities colluded and conspired uh, to craft an American housing policy, not as social policy aimed at housing the poor or uh, creating thriving communities or eradicating homelessness and substandard housing, but really they were crafted in such a way as to prioritize uh, profit-making potential. These priorities flowed from an American state in which there was and is a constant overlap between private uh, capital in public office, often with businessmen who have made their living as private capitalists entering into public office in government not to defend the rights of workers or the poor, uh, but to use their new, um, uh, their new position in government to create greater opportunities for financial gain in the private sector. The construction of American housing policy is the clearest example um, of, this, uh, uh, or, uh, of this arrangement. And as with any capitalist venture, Um, In the United States, racism uh, is always um, at the heart of its project, and hopefully I'll be able to uh, really show how race becomes central uh, to, hey Tasha, how race became uh, uh, central to um, uh, uh, this project in the the construction of American housing policy. Um, The first comprehensive American uh, housing policy was developed in the 1930s during the Great Depression. By 1933, half of all mortgages in the United States were in foreclosure, with more than 1,000 homes uh, a day going into default. While there was little concern for the hundreds of thousands of people being ejected from their homes, uh, there was massive concern about uh, the impact that the defaulted mortgages uh, could have in terms of uh, bank losses and bank failure, um, and, and basically that the continued uh, 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 the the continued pace of uh, defaults would destroy the real estate industry. In order to save both the banking as well as the real estate industry, its biggest leaders, um, uh, the National Real Estate Board, and an uh, uh, assortment of um, finance capital leaders openly worked with public officials uh, in the Roosevelt administration to create the Fair Housing Administration, the FHA, which was to become the most important institution um in the united states in terms of uh the creation of housing policy and the construction of housing uh uh, for the next uh uh, 40 to 50 years but the creation of the fha as part of the new deal uh was never about creating a housing policy that was geared towards meeting the social and economic needs of ordinary people which is why public um, housing got such little uh, uh attention and most of the fha's Uh, um, housing initiatives were geared around creating uh, homeowners and and creating uh, single-family homes. The FHA revolutionized homeownership in the United States by doing two things. Uh, One, creating the um, uh, amortized mortgages, which meant that mortgages could be paid over a period of 30 years. Um, And secondly, by insuring mortgages, which meant that private banks no longer had to worry about individual uh, uh, individuals defaulting on their home loans because the government now made sure uh, that those loans were uh, were to be in, in insured. The FHA and uh, the strategy of expanding home ownership um, was also pursued as an economic stimulus plan. The idea was to, if 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 they were able to create millions of uh, new housing units, that would both uh, create new jobs. Uh, uh, um, because of the depression um, and help actually pull uh, the economy out of the uh, depression. There was a serious dearth of housing in the United States, um, really up until the 1940s. Because of the decentralization of American government um, on a local and national level, uh, before the New Deal, cities were really unable to uh, coordinate the housing construction um, efforts that were needed to um, increase uh, uh, housing for the numbers of people who had been flooding into the cities um, since the turn of the century, first by successive waves of immigrants who came um, into American cities to look for jobs, um, and then by uh, the beginning of the the, the Great Migration of African Americans from the rural South um, into urban c- centers, both in the South, but um, most uh, <laughs> uh, uh, mostly uh, uh, to northern cities. Um, so the Basically, the cities went from being shells of themselves to really being uh, uh, overpopulated uh, very quickly, and there was no organized plan um, to, uh, uh, as to how people were going, uh, as to how people were going to be housed. So, most workers, black and white, lived in debilitated, old, and overcrowded housing. The FHA planned to use federal money to subsidize the construction of new homes for workers across the U.S. Um, The influence of the National Real Estate Board prevented um, sort of public works and construction of public housing because there was no profit to be made um, in public housing, and the National Real Estate Board, the National Association of Home uh, Builders, the National, or, or the Mortgage, Associ- Mortgage Lenders Association, um, all worked together uh, really to craft what the housing policy would be. And so this is why in the, in the 30s, when it was uh, most clearly apparent and necessary, there was never any plan Uh, for any sort of public housing, for any sort of of, of subsidized housing uh, to home the masses of people who had lost their homes because of foreclosure or people who were unable to pay uh, uh, their rent. Those uh, uh, private institutions, um, the Real Estate Board and and the National Home uh, Home Builders Association, Association, viewed home ownership uh, as superior uh, uh, as a superior alternative to public housing, and and because of that, it only followed that protecting the property value and investment um, of home ownership was to follow shortly. Um, and it was this issue, uh, the issue of preserving property value, that defined FHA policy for the first 34 years of, its, is, of for the first 34 years of its existence and made race and racism uh, uh, central. Uh, 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 to uh, uh, housing policy um, in the U.S. Um, so how do do uh, 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 African-Americans become synonymous with declining uh, uh, property value? During the housing crunch in the 1910s and the 1920s, landlords took advantage of the limited housing options for um, African-Americans by chopping up apartments or houses uh, uh, that were meant for one family, and turning them into you know, rooms that would house uh, five or six uh, 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 black families. Um, thus, African-American neighborhoods became densely overcrowded, and with overcrowding came an excess of garbage, and people were crammed into spaces that were smaller than what they were meant for, so the um, wear, general wear and tear in use became exponentially, uh, uh, exponentially worse. Um, And while all neighborhoods uh, of the poor and working class in this period uh, tended to be run down, immigrant workers um, had more areas to choose from uh, in terms of looking for housing, so there was less concentration. Moreover, despite the romantic myths about uh, different ethnic ghettos, most uh, immigrant groups uh, were able to move around and moved into different uh, neighborhoods. So you had ethnic enclaves when people first arrived Uh, uh, to, you know, a particular city, but that was very quickly uh, broken up as people uh, were able uh, to make any sort of movement forward in terms of wages and would immediately look to move um, into uh, other less concentrated um, neighborhoods, an option that was not open uh, to most African Americans. Um, Basically, meaning that the conditions of poverty and overcrowding were not necessarily uh, uh, attributed uh, to a particular ethnic uh, uh, group if they were able to move around uh, 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 to, uh, um, uh, to different, uh, to different um, neighborhoods. For African Americans, uh, real estate agents played a key role in making sure blacks could not leave their particular enclaves. As early as 1924, uh, the Chicago Real Estate Board's uh, code of ethics included the following statement, quote, a realtor should never be instrumental in introducing into a neighborhood a character or property or occupancy members of any race or nationality or any individuals whose presence will clearly be detrimental to the property values um, of, of, of that neighborhood. And so this became the sort of uh, uh, operating principle uh, for the people who were really in charge of uh, you know, uh, uh, who were in charge of being able to um, move people or direct people around, um, around the city. Moreover, in the 19 teens, uh, a series of uh, race riots swept across the, the urban north. Um, and in Chicago, after the race <laughs> riot of 1919, a white urban sociologist uh, from the University of Chicago. Um, were convinced that blacks and whites could not live in the same area uh, together without there being violent outbreaks, which would obviously have a deleterious um, impact on property value. Chicago is of particular importance um, because it was sociologists, economics, um, economists, and the uh, Chicago Real Estate Board that played an instrumental role in formulating the principles behind FHA um, uh, policy. In particular, the FHA called upon uh, University of Chicago urban sociology uh, professor and former real estate broker, Homer Hoyt, uh, uh, to craft the principles behind the new housing policy. Hoyt used real estate uh, uh, practices and uh, what is called uh, uh, um, ecology studies in sociology uh, to theorize about why um, it was uh, uh, natural, as in terms of, of nature, uh, that blacks and whites could not live together. Uh, because uh, urban eco- um, ecology uh, essentially looks at cities as if they are plant species. Um, and blacks were one species, whites were another species, and therefore they could not actually mix. Um, moreover, neighborhoods grew um, in a natural way um, in areas adjacent Uh, uh, to the primary neighborhood. And so this basically uh, established a scientific uh, basis um, for segregation. And while it sounds goofy, this is the man that the FHA hired from 1934 to 1940 to craft its uh, uh, principles behind what housing policy uh, would be um, in the United States. And so Hoyt combined his sociology, uh, sociological training with his former past as a real estate agent to conclude, quote, it is in the twilight zone where members of different races live together that racial mixtures um, tend to have a depressing effect upon land values. And from there, he went so far as to actually rank um, ethnic, eth- ethnic groups in terms of the impact that they had on property values. So. The group that had the least impact on property values, I'll give you the list. Um, Number one are the English, German, Scotch, Irish, and Scandinavians. (laughs) Number two are Northern Italians, three Bohemians or Czechs, four Poles, five Lithuanians, six Greeks, seven Russians or Jews, lower class Jews, eight South Italians, nine Negroes, (laughs) 10 Mexicans. <laughs> Thus, using all of this, this um, information, um, in 1938, when the FHA produced its first set of standards and rules that it would use to underwrite mortgages, it included the following statement, quote, areas surrounding a location are investigated to determine whether incompatible racial or social groups are present for the purpose of making a prediction regarding the probability of the location being invaded invaded Whoa. by such groups. Whoa. If a neighborhood is to retain stability, it is necessary that properties shall continue to be occupied by the same social and racial classes. A change in social or racial occupancy generally contributes to instability and a decline in values." So this is the federal government. This is the U.S. government coming up with, um, what its parameters will be um, in terms of whether or not it will insure property in a given neighborhood. Um, So effectively, the FHA's housing philosophy obviously revolves around the concept of property values. Um, So not only would they not insure interracial neighborhoods, but neighborhoods they consider to be, quote, economic risks, um, or neighborhoods uh, uh, with uh, old dilapidated structures. Um, in fact, by the 1940s, FHA policy clearly stated that only new structures in what they called, quote, racial, racially homogenized areas would be insured. Uh, the FHA further stamped its approval on residential segregation when it required real estate agents with FHA approved uh, home buyers to include uh, what were called racially restricted covenants in their mortgage agreements. The covenants allowed homeowners to write legal agreements that houses could not be sold to blacks or Jews or any other, quote, undesirable group for uh, somewhere between 20 and 50 years, legally ensuring residential uh, uh, segregation. This was, these were legally binding uh, uh, documents until a 1948 Supreme Court decision ruled that their enforcement, not their existence, but their enforcement uh, was unconstitutional. And, and, and the, 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 the impact of, of these policies was evident uh, very quickly. By 1959, 10 years after the passage of the uh, Second <coughs> Housing Act in 1949, only two percent of new homes insured by the FHA were for African Americans. Um, uh, uh, through the, 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 uh, uh, the VA, um, those 7.5 percent of veterans uh, from both the Korean uh, and World, uh, Korean War and World War II were non-white. By 1956, the VA had only guaranteed home loans uh, for 2% of uh, black veterans. Um, In 1966, for example, the black central city of uh, of Camden in New Jersey, there was not a single FHA insured property um, in the entire city. Um, And so as private banks realized that the FHA would not insure their loans um, in the inner city, it no longer made sense to lend uh, uh, to the inner city. Uh, So, uh, so Banks followed the lead of the federal government um, and essentially redlined these areas. Um, And redlining uh, was um, really up until um, the the late 70s, uh, redlining the FHA and Banks said this was an urban legend, it didn't exist, um, until a historian, Kenneth Jackson, when doing research uh, for a book on the suburbanization, uh, uh, suburbanization in the U.S., uh, went to the archive of the FHA and found the maps. He found the maps that uh, uh, FHA officials had used red pens to uh, circle the inner city um, in all of these cities uh, and designated them um, as, as places that would not receive um, uh, lending, um, lending insurance. The impact of redlining on black communities formally over a 40-year period is incalculable both in terms of the financial impact it had on the ability for black neighborhoods to develop, but also in terms of first creating, enforcing, and perpetuating the connection between African Americans and neighborhood blight um, and declining property values. Um, The issue of home ownership um, in the uh, uh, post-war period um, becomes uh, a very important ideological uh, uh, project for the ruling class. Um, in 1949, Harry Truman uh, basically uh, uh, said, uh, when introducing the Housing Act, "quote the, uh, that the realization, um, as soon as feasible, of the goal of a decent home and suitable living environment for every American uh, was really the goal um, of the Housing Act." Uh, the U.S. state and bourgeoisie placed home ownership as the centerpiece of the American dream. Uh, and there were ideological reasons as well as financial reasons for pushing that. Um, in the aftermath of the, uh, uh, the, the 1930s, um, home ownership uh, was part of giving each individual uh, worker a stake in the system, a stake in American society. Uh, the suburbs had been opened up as new spaces uh, to build new housing in. Uh, which was lucrative for the private contracting industry and the National Real Estate Board, but it also was intended to tie individual homeowners to the rising fortune uh, of American society. Um, In 1967, the Chicago Tribune uh, ran an editorial about the centrality of home ownership that I just wanted to, uh, to quote. It says, quote, between 1955 and 1965, the total dollar and cents equity homeowners had in housing increased from $195 billion to $270 billion. The American home has become a glorified piggy bank. As Americans take up residence in the neat rows of homes which sprang up in the 1950s and 60s, the mortgage became one of the central facts of American national life. For today's homeowner, it is a virtual sun around which revolves the family budget, the wife's charge-it card, the children's college ambitions, and the parents' retirement dreams. End quote. <laughs> Owning a home hoisted the responsibility uh, for health care, retirement, college, etc., onto individual workers uh, while removing that responsibility from the state. This was the key to the ideological component in the creation of the U.S. as an ownership society. And that's the context, uh, context within which uh, many of the violent white mob attacks on African-Americans uh, who whites were perceived as invading their neighborhoods, this is the context within which this is happening. Um, many blacks across the North attempted to be pioneers in terms of being the first to move into white neighborhoods uh, um, or white uh, uh, housing developments. In Chicago and Detroit, most famously, blacks were attacked by hordes of thousands of angry whites uh, uh, defending their neighborhoods. And while racism was certainly at the heart of these attacks, it is also clear that because the government had invested so much of one's financial stability in one's individual home, it set up the conditions for a crazed reaction. Um, If you have been told uh, by the government and neighborhood real estate brokers that blacks destroy property value and that you've seen blighted black neighborhoods for reasons that you associate with blackness and and not with federal policy, Uh, uh, then most of these white workers uh, viewed black movement into their neighborhood as an attack on their own source of economic stability. The problem, of course, is that mob attacks only reinforced the idea that black entry into neighborhoods created problems, and all problems uh, uh, negatively affected property value. Um, Obviously, uh, uh, most African-Americans were left out of this process uh, uh, and debate about the roles uh, about the role of home uh, uh, ownership um, in the uh, post-war period, um, but at the same time, um, African Americans had uh, uh, rising incomes and were really uh, no less immune to the rhetoric that home ownership was the true representation of citizens, of, of citizenship. Yet, you know, what were black people to do who wanted to buy houses if the FHA would not insure their homes? Um, meaning that banks would not lend to them. In short, blacks quickly became victimized by predatory lending uh, from both formal and informal institutions. Um, And because of those restrictions on black uh, residential mobility, in every American city, a dual housing and financing system uh, uh, was created one for whites, and one for blacks, which meant that blacks with uh, uh, far fewer housing options because of segregation were forced to pay more for the worst housing. African-Americans popular, popularly uh, referred to this as a, quote, race tax. Um, but as more whites began to move uh, to suburban areas, uh, housing opportunities expanded for African-Americans, and former white uh, neighborhoods opened up uh, uh, to blacks with better housing. Um, but whites were not always leaving because uh, uh, okay. But whites were not always leaving uh, because there was better housing opportunities awaiting them. Most were the victims of, of the practice of blockbusting um, or or what was also known as panic peddling. Um, and basically, this happened when speculating real estate brokers went into white neighborhoods bordering a black neighborhood and told the whites that the blacks were coming and if they didn't sell quick, they were risking uh, losing money on their homes. Simultaneously, uh, the black, uh, blockbusters were offering financing uh, uh, for blacks to move into uh, white or changing neighborhoods uh, because the FHA and the banks would not lend to them. Um, the, 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 the scam was to essentially sell low to whites and sell super high uh, uh, to blacks. One study in Chicago in 1960 found that blacks on average paid 73% more for their homes than whites, uh, even though for worse uh, quality. Uh, one I interviewed a, a, a black man on the, the, the west side of Chicago uh, who moved into his house in 19, uh, uh, 1958. The white family that fled the neighborhood he moved into sold their house to the speculator for $8,000. That house was resold to uh, this black man, Clyde Ross, um, six months later for $26,000. So that, that, was, that was the race tax. Um, in Chicago, uh, in another northern uh, city, speculators financed homes to blacks with um, installment contracts instead of mortgages uh, uh, and you know, basically created um, an entire industry of exploitation um, at the expense of African Americans because of housing um, segregation. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to touch on was the issue of uh, um, urban renewal. In the 1950s, the Democratic Party uh, bosses across the urban, uh, the urban north demanded money to fix the cities to stem the flow of city dwellers moving out into the suburbs. Um, the money came in, in block grants and was supposed to be used uh, 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 for the purposely vague and subjective uh, urban renewal. Urban renewal money was supposed to play, uh, pay for slum removal and the construction of new and affordable housing as an alternative t- uh, uh, to the suburbs. Um, but you know, there's a, a classic example um, in Chicago where uh, the city turned that money over in total to the University <laughs> of Chicago to get rid of the slums that were circling uh, its campus. And if you go to the campus uh, today, you can see um, on the, the, the south side of the campus, it looks like there's six football fields uh, uh, linked consecutively. It didn't always look like that. It looked like that once they took the city's money and destroyed uh, uh, black housing there. More than 40,000 African-Americans were left homeless um, as a result of uh, urban renewal just in, in the uh, community around the uh, University of Chicago, um, Chicago itself. And so uh, black people begin to refer to urban renewal as Negro removal um, across the uh, uh, across the country. But uh, across the country where this was happening uh, uh, tens of thousands of blacks were uh, left homeless uh, because of these urban renewal projects Um, and this is the only time the federal government initiated any serious public housing uh, 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 public housing building. They uh, created projects in um, black neighborhoods to house the people that had been kicked out of their homes uh, because of urban renewal. Um, and so uh, white politicians balked at the idea of having uh, projects put in non-black areas. So these projects were put up um, in African-American, uh, African-American um, uh, neighborhoods. Um, essentially the culmination of all these factors uh, uh, um, that had institutionalized slum conditions in black neighborhoods across the country, while at the same time uh, creating a situation that was impossible for African Americans to escape, um, is the reason why housing was consistently listed as the you know one of the top three police brutality, housing, and unemployment as one of the top three uh, reasons for the urban rebellions um, in the uh, in the the in the 19. 19- Um, in the 1960s. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up soon. No, no, I've really got like five minutes here. That is perfect. Um, Okay. When Martin Luther King uh, decided to turn his attention uh, to racism in the North he chose housing as the central issue uh, to organize his northern campaign around. Um, King came to Chicago in 1966 to launch a movement for an open city um, in which ha- fair housing was one aspect of it. Um, and his campaign, while it did a lot to highlight the, the you know, slum conditions that uh, blacks uh, lived in, especially when he moved into uh, an apartment, a, dilap- a dilapidated apartment on uh, Chicago's west side, um, uh, he brought a lot of attention to that. Um, but that, in and of itself, was not enough to constitute um, a successful movement. Um, And for the most part, King's movement was a failure um, in Chicago. Uh, It failed to get anything beyond a a sort of empty agreement with the mayor of Chicago to end housing segregation. Um, And so while King preached nonviolent mass movement to end housing discrimination, it was actually the urban uprisings that fundamentally shifted um, U.S. policy and opened up doors for African Americans in new ways. In July of 1967, just two weeks after the Detroit Rebellion, uh, which at the at the time was the, the largest, most destructive in terms of, of lives and in terms of uh, property uh, riot in American history, two weeks later, the FHA released an emergency memo reading, attention, all assistant commissioners, Washington division heads, insuring, officing, insuring office directors, HUD regional administrators, The director, regional staff support, announcing um, the prohibition of arbitrary exclusions of communities and neighborhoods and the waiver of economic soundness in riot or riot-threatened areas. FHA director Philip Bronstein explained the change in philosophy, saying, quote, we have got to recognize that stimulating a flow of mortgage funds into the inner city, yes, even the slums for the transfer of homes for rehabilitation and for new construction is an FHA mission of the highest priority. And this effectively ended the 34-year practice of redlining in black neighborhoods. But it also represented uh, the introduction of home ownership I- ideology into black neighborhoods for the first time. The threat of urban violence and the requisite questioning of the efficacy of American society compelled the American ruling class to change its tactics and Richard Nixon summarized the shift saying, quote, People who own their own homes don't burn their neighborhoods. Rather, in pride and self interest, they turn to fixing up their communities and making them livable for themselves um, and, their, and their, their neighborhoods. And with that came a, a whole um, slew of, of, of subsidy efforts at creating um, and expanding home ownership uh, in, in, poor, uh, uh, in poor communities. Um, but just to conclude, I think, in terms of uh, what, what are some of the things that, that, that we learned from this, um, one is, is that understanding that the federal government played the central and decisive role in creating racial segregation, uh, uh, in, in creating residential segregation, and in, rec- in, in creating uh, uh, the uh, ghetto-like or slum conditions um, in uh, U.S. inner cities that today uh, they like to blame on loose morals, poor moral foundation. You know, all sorts of uh, of, of finger pointing and blame at the individual behavior of people, while ignoring an 80-year history of of, of 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 legal racism that was fostered and codified uh, by the U.S. Uh, uh, um, by the U.S. government. But the other thing is to understand what the focus on home ownership as a uh, uh, social policy, what the problem of that is when you have a state that is so heavily influenced uh, by private finance uh, uh, capital um, as well as by uh, 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 the, the private real estate um, industry. As long as those forces continue to play um, essential, and, and, and really in Chicago uh, throughout the 60s, every head of the FHA um, had formerly been uh, a banker, a mortgage lender, Um, in 1972 the um, uh, assistant uh, uh, secretary to HUD left his position as the president of the National Homeowner uh, National Association of Home Builders he left that post to go to HUD and so you've got this this constant overlap between uh, the actors in the private field who deeply influence what the public, uh, uh, how the public office actually operates, which means that you never can get a policy that is actually based on um, housing people that puts, you know, uh, 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 you know, housing people as its central priority, but instead you continue, and you can see it uh, today in the subprime lending uh, uh, situation where profit still remains um, at the heart of the U.S.'s home ownership policy, um, and, and that really uh, is, the, is, the, is the heart of the problem. I think too much of it has been discussed in terms of uh, individual attitudes and who wants to be a neighbor with whom, which obviously is not irrelevant, but it can't be divorced from the central and decisive role that the U.S. government and the private uh, uh, you know capital interests um, that are in the government have played in shaping uh, what our ho- housing policy is.